Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. Today's guest is the brilliantly hilarious Dawn O'Porter. She's come on the podcast a few times now. I think she was one of the very first guests that I managed to convince to come on the podcast. And then last year, or maybe the year before, I went round to her house in LA while I was there to talk about The Cows, which was her last book. And now we're here in London. I had a very Dawn-themed week. We did an event at Foils, so thank you to everyone who came along for that. It was super fun. And then we did the podcast, and then it was her launch party as well. Dawn knows how to throw a party. There was lots of cocktails and lots of dancing. Dawn O'Porter, if you don't already know, is the author of six books, including the award-winning YA books Paper Aeroplanes and Goose. And her first adult novel, The Cows, was a Sunday Times bestseller and just a brilliant read that I could not put down. And her latest book, also published by HarperCollins, is called So Lucky and it's fantastic. It is storming the Amazon charts as I speak. And it's a novel about three women and how life isn't as perfect as it looks. Ruby is one of the characters who feels like she's failing as a mother and as a woman. And she is dealing with some body confidence issues to do with something physical that she suffers from. And then we've got Beth, who is in a sexless marriage and kind of struggling in her relationship. And we've got an Instagram influencer called Lauren, who is not telling the truth about the happiness that she projects on Instagram. It's just such a great book. And then you find out how all these women are linked as you read on. If you liked this episode, please leave a rating or a review. Thanks again to Dawn. And thanks again to you for listening. Here it is. Dorno Porter, welcome to Control or Delete. This is your third time. That's amazing. You are very special. Uh, not many people has, have come on twice, even. Really? Yes. I love that. So welcome back. Thank you. Before I, we've um, done it in all sorts of places. We have, we have. Do you remember when I went over to your? You were renting a house, and we were in that like kids' bedroom. We were in a kids' bedroom, like it was this really weird tall house, and there was a cat called Adam that had no tail. That had no tail. Yeah. We rented this house, and we're like, oh, there's a cat we've got to take care of, Aww. which I was obviously delighted about. You're the best person to do that. Love cats. But yeah, we sat on a little bed on the floor. It was quite cute. It was really cute and actually Chris came in at the end did a cameo I was like well, I'm getting two for the price of one here this is amazing <laughs> three there was Adam, Adam. <laughs> there was Adam but I wanted to just say something quickly because it just came to me on the way here you had a podcast in like 2010 do you remember that I listened to it. That's mad. With my friends Gail and Eileen in LA. I didn't even know what a podcast was. Gail was a musician, so she had a little sound recording studio in her garden. And weirdly, I now own that house. No way. Yeah, which she couldn't have foreseen at the time. We used to go round there and just talk about sex and dating. And it was an absolute scramble of a show. But we had our friend who would like play the drums and do this intro, outro, Steve. And I'm like, God, we were doing a podcast 11 years yes, ago. Yes, you were the first ever podcast I listened to. Isn't that mad? It is mad. That must exist somewhere must do it was so brilliant because it was it's exactly what podcasting should be which is just some friends chatting in the way that you might chat without the mics yeah and we got to listen in can you imagine if we still did it it would be massive but we gave up after about six months and i feel like you just just met chris i was meeting chris around the time which made that kind of podcast too difficult because when you're single you're quite happy to talk about your dating yeah life, but when you're in a relationship it all becomes a bit protected so i couldn't really talk in the same way and i wasn't going to talk about like my sex life with chris so that was the end of that. I'm a real big believer in not talking about your own sex life. It's like one of the only things that is private these days. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And I, I notice that all the time with my girlfriends. Like now, weirdly, actually, because we're all mums, my, my friends in LA, there's kind of um four of us, like my really close 
group. And because we're all mums, we've started to kind of almost talk about our sex lives again in this kind of, right, okay, had the babies done that, what are we looking at for the rest of our lives? And we're all trying to be more sexual because you could just stop after having kids. Mm-hmm. Some people could, well, you know, men or women can. And you've got to like really put that back into your relationship. So I'm weirdly talking about sex with my friends more than I have in years. And it's quite fun. Yeah, I love that because it um, it's a big part of our lives. Yeah. So it'd be strange not to bring it up when exactly. it feels like you need to. And also when you've all gone through the whole baby making thing together, you're just, your conversation gets very, very open. And so it doesn't feel so taboo to talk about sex because, I mean, one of the people in this group literally saw Valentine crowning out of my vagina. So it's like we can talk about anything. So sex is back on the table. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And that leads us on really nicely to the fact that you're here promoting mm-hmm. So Lucky, your new novel in London. You're having like the most incredible week of non-stop promotion. And it's great. And it's so great. And it's out there. And I feel like that is your kind of trademark style, though, is talking about things that are still perhaps thought of taboo, even though you probably don't think they're taboo. No, I don't. And your readers probably don't. I never think anything's taboo. I'm like, and when people are like, oh, it's very, what are you talking about? sex not wanting children these kind of subjects like people think they're taboo and like people like you and me are like are they taboo I don't really I mean I'm kind of unshockable which is what and because there's so many books out at the moment about periods and how they're taboo and I was like but we're in 2019 and I didn't think they were taboo when I was five years old I literally (laughs) talk about my periods all the time but I guess it's the people that we surround ourselves with I guess there's some some women who don't surround themselves or don't have people in their lives who are open maybe Mm -hmm. and so it feels like taboo subjects you know I did Good Morning Britain this morning and when you do something like that you're reminded that most people are not as open as us and that you have to what you can't swear and you can't say anything too saucy and you've got to really edit yourself because that's what a lot of people need because yes. they're not ready to hear the big sexy words yeah <laughs> big swear words and talk about stuff like that so yeah we're, we're probably in the top tier of down with the sex chat mm. also I feel like we're in that time where a lot of people are trying to look very perfect on the outside because we're in a really scary time and I feel mm-hmm. like the only thing that we have control over some Sometimes it's like a good selfie or something like that. Your novels, I feel like, really open a can of worms in terms of lots of topics that live inside the novel, but then we as the readers get to talk about those themes with our best friends or with our husbands. Or Has that been nice? I love it. I really, really think about book clubs when I write books now. I really think about what's that group of, I presume, women. Lovely if it's some guys, but I presume it's women. What am I giving them to talk about? What am I, this phrase that we all use, shining a light on in their own life that they don't give enough time to or they don't really consider or they don't acknowledge in themselves or in their friends and I love that with a couple of glasses of wine in them people will open up about some of the stuff that's in the book you know there's an anal sex scene in the book I'm personally not into anal sex but I love talking about it and I love that when one of my friends say that they are I just want to get deeply into that conversation and I love the idea that it that is a taboo subject I think that definitely is something that even still even the most outrageous of us know that if you start talking about anal sex and it's going to have most people going god that's a thing whether they do it or not it's hard to talk about because there's there's a weird kind of stigma attached to it isn't there I kind of love the idea that people who had never had the conversation out loud might say have you ever done it or have you ever thought about it like I quite like that yeah (laughs) I feel like that's why that's one of the reasons why Fleabag immediately kind of came into our lives and like shook us to the core because that first scene (laughs) I mean it was so bold I went to a screening of it a couple of weeks ago in LA where you know you can 
the National Theatre Film Live Performances. So we're in a oh, cinema I saw that at well. UCLA yeah. watching the stage show. And UCLA as a venue is like, it has lots of old subscribers. Like it's kind of old Hollywood. Lots of old, lovely, cute little Jewish couples who go out <laughs> and like and watch these things. And they're watching the Fleabag show and I'm like, did you know what you were coming to? I felt the majority of the audience, literally Zimmer frames, <laughs> oh my God. like walking sticks. And I'm just like, I just wanted to interview them all afterwards. But I, you know, I didn't say anything. I but they really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, it's either they didn't know what they're going to or they're just, they love it. I wanted to ask you whether in the novels you sometimes kind of live out some of your own. Sometimes are you just like, I would never do this or ever say this, but like my characters can. Oh yeah. And that's so liberating. There's lots of friends I've got who write nonfiction and feel exposed. And I'm like, you need to start writing fiction because you'll be able to do all of that and go through all of those fantasies and all of those little avenues that your brain goes down sometimes. All of the things that you wish you'd done or have done and don't tell anybody, it can all go in, all disguised under mm. fiction. And it's quite nice. And I never have to tell anybody if anything is something I've experienced or if it's just something I've thought about. Or So Lucky is rammed full of... It's the first book that I fully, fully research for characters. Mm. So this is a book where a lot of it is stuff that I've heard that people have told me have happened, their experiences in these situations. And um, so I get to do all of that... But I never have to tell anyone who it was. Never have to reveal anybody that doesn't want to be revealed. And that's the glory of fiction. And also you can make big statements in a safe way mm. because it's fiction. And if you can't say it in fiction, then we're all fucked because mm. we have to be able to open those conversations. So I really want to write about race next, mm. which is in non-fiction form, I'd be really terrified of. But in fiction form, I feel that I can push the conversation and say some things that I want to say. And so it's incredibly liberating. I love it. You've almost gone further and further and further away from yourself with each one yes there's I mean with the cows the truth behind that is the writing process was quite traumatic because I just had art that's my first baby the deadline was eight months after he was born and obviously before you have a baby you're like no problem I'll do that and that's actually quite complex mm. situation <laughs> it's quite hard to you don't have quite that focus for that first while you do get it back by the way when you've had kids you can be incredibly focused but that was you, that was you've tricky. got it down now I've got it down now yeah. well the thing is we, we'd also moved to New York for a job for Chris and I was also running a business that was incredibly stressful so it was just a lot of pressure for a you know first time mum anyway and I think I said to you this in our event the other day that the least most stressful thing in my life was my baby I just absolutely loved it I had such a great experience of all of it and then these external pressures that I was putting on myself through work were just completely destroying me so I was up against it time wise and I was up against it I didn't have much brain capacity for my imagination so the only way that I could write the cows was to just call upon myself now that doesn't mean that I wanked on a train like Tara, it just means that, you know, there was just all of my feelings were in that book. And that was my first adult fiction book and it was great. But with So Lucky, I totally stepped away from myself. I'm a mother of toddlers, so is Ruby in the book. There's going to be parts of me in it. I understand how she feels on those bad days and all of that stuff. But, and obviously I've breastfed children and tried to run a business at the same time, which is what Beth is doing and, uh, you know, and all of that. But I think this is why I'm so confident with the book and why I love it so much and why the entire process of writing it and promoting it and the pride that I feel in it and how confident I I am say I like it. It's so different because mm. it's it's not me. I love that you love this book. I love this book. I love this book to the point where it's okay now 
if people don't. I've had a great response. I've had great reviews. It's had a, you know, it's had a brilliant start. I know people like it. But now I'm at the point where at some point there's going to be some negativity because there always is about anything creative that anything anyone ever does. And I feel like that's okay because I love it so mm. much. And also when, you know, I could have, with the cows, I felt like I'd never finished it. I could have just done another two months on it and kept editing it and kept going back and kept going back. I feel like it would with the book that I'd be writing for the rest of my life. We're so lucky it was like the end full stop done mm. snap computer shut there's oh, nothing so more good. I can do here and I love that feeling it's so lovely just seeing someone feel like the more that they do the more they put out there the more they get to know themselves the more that they're growing that's just the way it is isn't it well, but hopefully the standards we put on ourselves is crazy and actually it's okay to look back at a body of work and be like I'm so proud of everything I've ever done but actually over time I'm just getting better or yeah. feeling like I'm more myself totally I think with any job with any skilled professional in any job when someone been doing it for 15 20 years which is essentially I wrote my first book when I was 25 it's like you're gonna get good at it or you're gonna get your best version of it you're going to find your flow and you're going to be skilled now you know if I was doing any other job and I've been doing it for this long there's going to be a point where people would always ask me for like writing advice and I'm like I don't know I don't have any kind of I don't know how to write now I feel like I could advise I don't think anyone can tell you how to write a book you've got to find your own process but I'd be like oh I do feel like this is what I do I could mentor I feel like a kind of an authority on the idea of what I do I feel like just not like an imposter and it's uh, such a relief and that isn't to say that I think it's plain sailing from here I think So Lucky is a really good example of what I'm capable of there'll be duds in the future you know there's always going to be highs and lows mm. to maintain a constant level of happiness when you're an artist is probably impossible so because I'm so aware of that I'm just really trying to enjoy this feeling of being really happy about it mm. and also the fact that you like you've written about in the past you've now almost like not simply but you've kind of taken bits away that were making you not as happy. And I yeah. remember that Glamour article you wrote, I reference it all the time because in a world of, and I am to blame a little bit of like perpetuating this slightly, but you know, with the whole like have a side hustle, try yeah. new things, which I, I do um, subscribe to, but only if it feels right and you are happy doing it. And also you actually closed, like you kind of, you said no to an extra thing, which was bogging you down. Yeah, that also took a long time. So I started Bob when I was 36. That was my clothing line. Closed it when I was 38. For my 20s and early 30s, I was like, take it all on. All of it. All of it. I never said no. And I think that's how you should be. I think you should burn out and then find out what you love. Like, I would never say to someone in their 20s, be really, really selective. Try it all because you're never going to get that chance mm. again. And you have more energy. <laughs> You've got more energy and you can make more mistakes. You've just got time to play with and just work it out. And by the time you kind of, you know, you've got a family and you've got to just organise your time better and work out like, your financial situation is way more important and you've got to support people and all of that stuff. It's like you have to just make better decisions. But um, I started it when I was seven months pregnant with art and shut it down probably when I was about seven months pregnant with Valentine it was literally just a moment where I was sitting in the bedroom I'd been so unhappy and I was so stressed and I just couldn't cope and I just got this investment that was great for the company and I was just in this position where I was like right this takes over my life or it doesn't and I just kind of got off the bed and I just went in and I said to Chris I'm going to shut the business down he was like thank fuck <laughs> <laughs> because I wasn't present I was so stressed and I already had a full-time job that I loved that I've been working for my whole life to be good at and suddenly I just put in this 
beast into this situation. And I was devastated in one way and in another way, and I'm still paying back money from that. I'm going to be paying back money from that for a really long time. Don't care. I'll take it because the stress of the business was just mm. crippling me. And then when I had Valentine, I was like, took six months maternity leave. I said, no one, I don't even want your emails. I loved it. Oh, I love that. Because, you know, success on paper is not always actual success to no. the person and I think you ride over when you're the same kind of person as me so you know this feeling we're just so ambitious and I went into motherhood thinking this is not going to hold me back I'm going to carry on I also that same year that I had art just that like, we launched the help refugees charity and did all of that and on top of running a business that was really very hard and trying to write a book and having a baby and I was just like people used to say to me all the time god you're amazing you do so much I'm like I'm not amazing I'm an idiot this isn't good for anybody this this is just me now making bad decisions and taking on too much. When I closed my business, I was like, now I'm amazing mm-hmm. because I'm making really good decisions about my life and my happiness, my kids, my husband and my writing. It's like I'm doing all these things that are taking away from the thing that I tried to do since I was 14 years old. What am I doing? So it's just, yeah, it's the most liberating thing I've ever done. Because yeah, you've always known that you are a writer. Always. Like that's just in your bones. Yeah. I remember when I was about 14 and I, I sent off a, do you remember Bella magazine? I did I think I do. I think it was Bella. It was one of those kind of, there were loads and loads, and back in the 90s, loads of weekly magazines. Like Sugar, I used to read. Yeah, but like Women's Own and all those kind of things. Bella was kind of a younger one, and I think it was Bella. And I am so, so sad to think they've all gone. I sent off something, it was like 20 words, can't even remember what it said, and they printed it, literally paraded around Guernsey like I'd won the lottery and like I was Lionel Shriver. I just thought this was the most (laughs) amazing thing. Anyway, I knew that that gave me an extraordinary thrill, but I was so young and obsessed with the idea of fame, and I was on Guernsey, thought I wanted to be an actress thought I wanted to be famous like get me to drama school I'm gonna like take over the world I'm gonna be really famous got to drama school hated acting (laughs) literally hated it thank god the idea of doing that now and being married to an actor is just just so stressful um (laughs) for so many reasons but the one consistent thing was always writing but you know when I was kind of in my pill-popping university days (laughs) where all I wanted to do was like shag boys and take ecstasy I was like not writing very much but it was always like I would say oh god I really want to be a writer I really want to be a writer but as we know you're only a writer if you write so it took me quite a while to get the focus to actually do it you're only a writer as well if if you live and I feel like that's something that you've always been good at is like you have you do so much and live and all of those documentaries and all of that like wild time like you'll always have something to go back to and get experience from exactly right exactly I don't know like you know the the stereotypical writer is someone quite unsociable it doesn't really that's not how it is anymore but back in the day he's someone who was quite solitary and spent a lot of time alone and maybe go for a walk on the cliffs and just get an idea down in Cornwall and then go home and write a novel about it I don't know how that works like I feel like you need I'm 40 which is probably quite old but I still feel so young and I sometimes look back and go so much has happened in my life some of it I didn't do anything about like mum dying but just gives you so much material like I know it sounds terrible but to experience tragedy as a child your feelings and your emotions a bomb goes off inside of you to be able to call upon that which I do all the time when I'm writing much more than when I'm parenting is like it's a gift Mm -hmm. it's the only way I can say it now because obviously it's a tragedy but I see it it's like wow what a gift that was in terms of being able to connect with feelings when I'm writing and then jump to years later when I'm having a naked greased up orgy with some German hippies on Channel 4 and you're like, that's a real action. <laughs> exactly. Real action. Not many people would be able to draw from that experience no. if they ever need to. I recommend it though. <laughs> that's really nice. But it's so true because I, I was writing a scene the other day and I like made myself cry 
and it was about like a horrible breakup and I've like I'm so happy in my relationship at the mm. moment and I was like well I'm kind of glad that I got dumped because I'm able to put this into this character now if I helpful. didn't know then yeah. it would be rubbish well how could you write about human emotion if everything had just been great exactly so then you're getting your inspiration for what other people have written and I'm sure that exists and I'm sure people do it really really well personally for me like being able to kind of call upon on that emotional bank of like stuff that's happened and also I'm just such a natural interviewer like everyone that's sitting next to is like I grill them and just mm. you take it all you take it all I love it yeah because for Ruby you you didn't overhear a conversation did you you no. met someone I met someone at, weirdly this morning I interviewed her for my podcast oh, this did woman you? Yes. amazing so, um, so her name is Clara Francis and I met her at my friend's Hindu and she was just this very theatrical very kind of dramatic woman in like this high necked ruched armed kind of Amish dress that she'd made and she's got this deep voice and she's just loud and gorgeous and just fantastic and she gripped me before she told me two of these unbelievable aspects of her life. One of them is that she spent from the age of 14 to 40 with thick body hair all over her body, which is what inspired Ruby, telling me all about this condition, polycystic ovaries, which I'd never heard, I'd heard of, but didn't really understand. Mm. And I was just gobsmacked that this amazing kind of gregarious woman who is an actress has experienced this because it just wasn't what I was expecting. The other side to Clara was that unfortunately her and her husband Jason lost a two-year-old and Mm. it was just so devastating. She was just this unbelievable human who I just couldn't stop thinking about after I met her and I just I text her I got her number from my friend I said do you mind if I base a character on you I can't stop thinking about you and I've never done this before mm. so we spent hours on the phone mm. and she was just so open there is a you know a story in the book of a lost child but it's, it wasn't hers yeah. but it was she was still very open it definitely helped me kind of place all that but she's so open about the body hair and all of this stuff I was just like I just did a whole podcast with her talking about body hair I really love, love that, that yeah I mean if you hadn't really have known how to go around that or about that you, you could have written a book and not told her I know. And, that, and, that, and I love the fact that this is definitely the best way yes. to well, involve she, she someone she reads the part of Ruby in the audiobook so good which thrills me more than anything she ever sounds incredible yeah she's like, brilliant and the fact she's that she she'll be there tonight you'll meet her this is my book launch tonight <gasps> oh at time God. of recording oh this is uh, book launch day but yeah she's really fantastic so open and generous with what she says and so funny oh, she sounds amazing yeah, I'm going to track great. her down tonight yeah. I wanted to ask you quickly, actually, about female friendship. Yes. Because in the book, there are some really lovely moments between the women, but also, you know, with Beth and her colleague. And I think all through your work, there there are sometimes just really lovely friendship moments. Mm. I mean, this is a really obvious question, but you obviously have a lot of really close female friendships. How, how, how much are they, like, such a role in your life? I do now, but I remember being at school and just being desperate for that friend. And I, kind of, I had my friend Alice. We were really close, but it kind of fizzled out over a few years. And then we went to a different school for our A-levels but we weren't really friends there. It was really weird because we'd been really close when we were doing our GCSEs. I thought about her a lot when I was writing Paper Mm. Airplanes and Goose. And so then I had another kind of, when we were doing A-levels, had like a bunch of four girls. We just well the five of us and we were the Spice Girls obviously because that was what we were <laughs> obsessed with at the time and that was my like oh wow group of females the power the laughs we were all so different and we had an absolute blast such precious times and then I went to university and became friends with loads of boys and lived with boys lived with five boys and I had one friend Kaz but I, I really missed that kind of group thing and then I remember when I left uni really wanted to seek out really good women but I, I met my kind of best friend of whose name is tattooed on my ankle when I was at uni she she wasn't there but she used to come up and stay at the weekends because she was friends with the boys that I was living with 
we fell in love like an actual love story. I just, I mean, this woman is just, well, she's just the other half of me. Um, aside from my sister, who gets really pissed <laughs> off when I say things like that. She's been my longest, most consistent friend who is like a sister and now lives in Australia. I miss her desperately. But she, my friendship with Louise, even though we don't see each other very often, if it went away, there would be a hole in my life. And because I miss her so much, I almost want to move out to LA, went actively to kind of fill that void. And now I have like, you know, four girlfriends in LA and we're just, we're like... You know, mad aunties to each but it is nice to hear that I think a lot of people do feel like well where are my people and mm. why haven't I met them yet or why did it take me so long they and actually yeah, they, they, come, they come out of nowhere yeah it's not just something that you you, you know you don't just meet these this like fairy tale friendship no. when you're younger and it lasts no. all the way through my girlfriends out in LA who you know we were just raising our kids as family out there t- together I met Mel when Art was five months old so I've known her for four years and she's like a sister like we're so close and then my friend Michelle I've known for a little bit longer than that and I'm like god we're raising our kids together like we are family and I've only known them for five six years that's mad what I know is I've still got more female friendships to come Mm. I meet people all the time suddenly you'll just meet someone at dinner and then you'll be like where were you yes because I never understand those people who were like, sorry, the bus is full, no. got all my friends now. I'm no, like, no, no. I'm always open for these new magical people. Yes, and what I love about friendships, which obviously isn't or shouldn't be the same in a relationship, is there is always space and you will always make space for another person and have some really special relationship with them that sits somewhere in your life. That not that just so great? Because... You know, you're getting married, I'm married. I don't, not looking for other lovers. That door is closed. But with friendship, it's just limitless. Yes. I love it. I love it. I know one of my best friends I've known for 20 years, because we met when we were 10, and I'm like, well, she's always going to be my longest relationship, yeah. which is kind of cute. It's so cute. My last question. Yells. I feel like I could talk to you, as we know, because this is the third time for hours. Can we talk about Instagram quickly? Just because yes. I know this is something that people have picked up about um, on in the book, just because it's, it's like a novel based in very much the uh-huh. world we're in now. And it was very funny reading all of the the Lauren captions. Yeah. We all know a Lauren on Instagram. Maybe we are even one sometimes. Yeah. Would you just be able to talk a little bit about that part of the book and why you wanted it in there? So I haven't actually told anyone this yet, and I'm not. I'm going to give you like a really annoying piece of information that you're going to want to know more about, and I'm not going to give it to you. So it's an exclusive, but with no info. Well, my friend Joe Alvin, who is you know editor yes. of You Magazine, was really useful writing this book because not only does she um, work with celebrities, but she also deals with airbrushing and. That whole thing is part of her daily life. And one thing that she always says, like, you know, as a magazine editor, you get so much shit for the airbrushing in magazines. But more often than not, most of the time, the demands for the changes are coming from the person in the photo themselves. And when that person is saying, I'll pull the fucking interview if you don't do these things to me, mm-hmm. you do them. And so it's a very... It's like a self-perpetuating yes, problem. and of course that's the situation because most people, like, if you don't want to be airbrushed, you don't even mention it and then you see a picture of yourself that's airbrushing, like, I look weird, can you just, like, sort that out? But some people are like, they only want that image of themselves to go out there. Perfect. Skin tone changes, scars taken away, cesarean scars taken away, you know, post-pregnancy bellies taken away, slimmed down, made taller, hairline, and teeth mm-hmm. whitened shadows taken away and that is just so real and after talking to Joe and a couple of other my friends who work in magazines I was like well that's just daily that's how it is we all know that exists in magazines but what's happening now with Instagram is that your next door neighbour can do that 
and your mate at school can do that. And the woman that you sit opposite at work every day, you know, you, she might have posted about her perfect family before you get into work that night, that day, and you've been up with your baby all night or whatever, and you're just like, oh God, she's living this amazing life, and I'm not. And you kind of forget to check in with the person in real life, and you just take this Instagram life mm-hmm. as real. And so, I mean, we all kind of know it, but it was good to like get into the depths of it. Of course, no one's life is that shiny. Mm-hmm. Of course, anyone, even if they've got loads and loads of money, of course, they're not hashtag blessed all the time. I think it's just good to be reminded of that because this isn't going away anytime soon. This is like this next generation's version of our glossy magazines. And it's yeah. this is, it, but it's harder because it's everybody. It's not just, you can't have that kind of grown up. That's a model. I can never do that, which is the kind of relationship I think most of us have kind of got with that. Of course, that's not real. But this is like their friends and the competitiveness within that. So, look, any time that we can just remind people that what you're seeing is just a version of someone's life is quite important, I think. Yes. And I mean, that is the whole catchphrase and tagline behind So Lucky, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. This is what this novel is all about. I mean, I think about my own. I'm really, you know, I love Instagram, but I'm so selective about what I put on it. Even though it feels like I'm putting loads and giving loads of myself away, I'm not really giving you any details really about my marriage, my kids. It's not, you're not really seeing that much. Mm. And also, I choose to put out the funny bits. Of course, everything's not always funny. People say things, you and Christmas just laugh all the time. (laughs) And we do, but we also get on each other's tits and we have really bad days and parenting's fucking hard and sometimes we just haven't slept and work is stressful and people wouldn't but money is a thing it's like you know we have those normal struggles but I choose to just put out the funny stuff because I just want to make people laugh on Instagram so people will think that my life is just a laugh a minute and it's great and I'm not going to say it isn't but it's like it's real too you really are a breath of fresh air because <laughs> not many people actually are confident enough in themselves to share the funny bits I don't think I think oh, really? you're okay well that's good you're definitely you have to have really like low self-esteem to be so funny <laughs> like, I'm just gonna share it I feel like you have to go full circle there and be like quite content yeah. with who you are in order to then go do you know what I'm not gonna take myself too seriously no and, and that's also, really yes, nice exactly and also it's like I'm not there yet I don't think and uh, I no, want and I want to be it's really funny to just be able to kind of once you've shared something ridiculous that should be embarrassing it's like a weight off your shoulders I strongly recommend it I love it honestly it's like the best Thank and you. I was saying to your editor Kim last night actually your was, editor too you, well yeah strangely enough that when you have put up some Instagram stories like a you know a full narrative of Mm -hmm. like what's going on you're the only person who I go and get my headphones and watch it like a TV show (laughs) I love that that makes me so happy I love it so thank you for that you're so Um, welcome thank you for your novels thanks for coming on again to this podcast it won't be the last time when we're like 80 we'll we'll do another one quick plug for your podcast it's called So Lucky and it's going to go out in November and I've got Sarah Pascoe Matt Haig and I haven't done it yet but I've asked her and she's going to do it just had to find some time for Busy Phillips and who else Uh, Giovanna Fletcher who I love and Angela Scanlon and Lionel Shriver oh my god I know I'm doing her tomorrow aren't you two best friends I'm trying (laughs) I'm really trying to be her best friend over the years yeah she'll be there tonight you can be here tonight at the launch party the launch party is is so exciting I know it's so exciting (laughs) well thank you again and check out Dawn's podcast by the book So Lucky is out now thank you Dan thank you 